Good morning, and happy Epiphany. My name is David. I am an assisting priest here at Incarnation. Um, I apologize for the quality of my voice this morning. Uh, it's gonna could be a little in and out today, um, but you guys can help me out with that by doing a little bit of the talking. I want to ask you guys a few questions about what you know of the story in Matthew called the Epiphany. Um, without looking, though. Um, this is a good example of how we sort of carry around Bibles in our heads, um, you know, our mental Bibles, and um, I think it's a good thing that it inspires so much imagination. Um, but I want to see what you bring to it. So first off, what kind of figure is a magi? A king. And how many of them visited Jesus? Three. What were their names? Gaspar. I heard Bartholomew, but that's not one of them. Melchior. A family member of mine did a genealogy once. Apparently, like 200 years ago, there was a Melchior Griffin. Fun fact. Uh, um, last one. And Balthazar. Great. You guys are doing awesome. Where did they find Jesus? At, at home? Aw, oh, I was hoping you'd say a manger. Where have you seen them visit Jesus in a manger? All right, and what was each gift for? Did they serve any kind of purpose? Yes, no? Well, we'll talk about that. The answers are actually... Some, a magi is something between a scholar, a priest, a royal advisor, and a magician. Um, next, we don't know how many visited Jesus. We don't know their names. We don't know that where, where they came from, except they came from the east. They visited Jesus in his house, not the manger, despite all our nativity scenes. And despite the many elaborations, such as in the song we sang of what each gift was for, we don't know probably just that they were very fancy. Now, you may have noticed that this is kind of a big deal in the liturgical calendar, and you may be wondering why is such pride of place given to Epiphany? Indeed, in many Roman Catholic countries, it's an even bigger celebration than December 25th, and it's the day when families gather and exchange gifts, which kind of makes sense. The Magi exchange gifts with Jesus, and so we exchange gifts with Jesus. There's a logic to it. In many Eastern Orthodox churches, um, it actually has a different function. It represents the feast of Jesus' baptism and has nothing to do with the Magi. The Magi visiting Jesus is celebrated just on Christmas Day. So as it turns out, that is probably the more ancient uh, use of Epiphany, the more ancient uh, meaning of the feast, uh, commemorating when God the Father validated Jesus as his unique son and the Spirit came to rest on him. So you can kind of think of it as Jesus' spiritual birthday. So the Holy Day does double duty, and for whatever reason, it seems from the historical record that Epiphany came to be celebrated before the Nativity, that is Christmas. Now, this all seems rather arbitrary. The visiting of the Magi could be observed really any time around the Feast of Christmas. And in theory, you could spin a wheel with calendar dates on it and decide when to celebrate Jesus' baptism. Now, but it begins to make a little sense 
when we consider ancient lectionary cycles of all things. For those of you who don't know, a lectionary is a schedule of readings. Um, it could be daily Bible readings. We have apps that do that now. Um, but it's also what informs what churches preach on Sundays. It's what we're following right now, as a matter of fact. Um, from very early on, January 6th marked the beginning of the annual lectionary cycle. The church in Alexandria, which was one of the heavyweights of liturgical history, um, began its cycle of readings with the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark opens with the baptism of Jesus. The church in Jerusalem, to whom great respect was given in liturgical matters, especially in the Roman West, that church began its cycle of readings with Matthew's Gospel. And as you know, Matthew's narrative opens with the visit of the Magi. They wisely chose to start there and not with the begats. Eventually, Western churches, ours included, split the difference and made the feast of the Lord's baptism very soon after, January 8th. Now, hopefully this overview, overview helps you appreciate the richness of the tradition we have inherited. There's always the risk that knowing a little bit of the history can make a subject lose a bit of its magic. But I think that it's worthwhile to know that our church's practices don't come from a calendar that fell from the sky, but they emerge from the faithful worship of generation after generation of believers. With all of that said, let us join the throng of so many Christians, past and present, who take this occasion to give honor to the King of Kings. Our psalm reading today, the 72nd song, gives us the perfect words with which to do so. Excuse me. In fact, the gospel reading from Matthew 2 appears to be self-consciously pointing back to this psalm, as well as our other reading from Isaiah. You will find that scripture does this all the time. It is as though each passage opens a portal to another, or several others, which in turn present a portal to still more. They all lead, in the end, back to Jesus, and by extension to his body, the church, which is to say, us. Thus, scripture can always be read on more than one level, which is what we will do now. For simplicity's sake, we will go through some highlights of Psalm 72, mindful of these different layers of meaning along the way. Give your king justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. So first, this is a prayer for the king to exercise justice, that is, fairness and righteousness, um, which in Hebrew are much the same thing. Now, the psalm says at the top that it is of Solomon. But the Hebrew doesn't exactly bind you to the idea that it was written by him. It could be about him or concerning him. It has some relationship to him. But that gives us permission to see it as not just about Solomon. This has a sort of future-leaning, too. Um, it's put in the book of Psalms because Israel would be repeating this every time a king would inherit David's throne. So it makes sense when there's no longer such a king, when the nation is in shambles, and they're expecting another king to come take the throne, this now takes on the character of hope. And naturally, 
this is exactly the kind of hope that is animating the people when Jesus himself is born. It says, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. What's interesting is if you look at what kings were expected to do in the ancient Near East, it was exactly this. Um, quite often when a new king would conquer a territory to build up support among the new people, they would cancel all debts. Um, we, we see these traditions in the Bible, in fact. So when a new king ascends to the throne, it is expected that a good king um, would wipe out debt. And this is a very uneven society, so this goes to the benefit of the vast majority of people. Um, obviously, creditors probably were not a huge fan of, of that practice, um, but nonetheless, um, this was a way of showing that the king was for the people. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Um, that's, this is the English Standard Version. You're looking at the NRSV, which I believe says, um, may he live while the sun endures. Either way, this is wishing the king a very long reign. And you can see how if this is referring to a king like Solomon, this is metaphorical. Nobody is expecting Solomon to endure as long as the sun does. However, it can extend to Solomon's family. So this is expresses a wish that his dynasty endures forever. However, once we get to the first epiphany, we see this acknowledgement that this is a special king that is born in Jesus, in that this could actually apply to him in a literal sense. Whether the Magi were aware of that fact or not, um, probably not, um, but they know that there's something very special and unique about this king. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more. So the, this king, the true king, the good king, that we recognize in Jesus now, lets his rain fall on the mown grass and let, let his showers water the earth. Um, this is an example of God's goodness to all people. And in fact, Jesus says something quite like this in his Sermon on the Mount and how God sends his rain on the just and unjust alike. So he is a generous king. The rain is showered indiscriminately upon the land and upon the whole earth. And what rises, what grows from this abundant rain, yes, crops, and that's mentioned here for physical sustainment, but what comes up in verse 7 is the righteous. So these fresh rains that fall upon the land of Israel bring forth the fruit of righteousness and peace. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And if you're familiar with the books of kings, royalty from Tarshish and Sheba, come visit Solomon. But we also see foreign kings now fulfilling this greater, broader hope in the book of Matthew. It doesn't say exactly where they're from, but they're from the east, which is what it, these places are associated with. 
may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. There's a bit of a tension in the Hebrew Bible between just how much one should expect God's promises to extend. Are they mostly for the promised nation of Israel, or is there a more universal thrust to these promises? You know, should Gentiles, non-Jews, um, be able to expect all this blessing? And you can point to texts that go in both ways. You, know, you can point to texts that seem to imply that, well, what God's doing with the nations is the nation's business. This is really about Israel. Um, until we get to when Christ is born. He is king of the Jews first, which the Magi themselves acknowledge in Matthew 2. But this, that first epiphany was sort of an acknowledgement that in the end, that universal thrust is what wins out. He is king of all nations. And this distant future hope, perhaps, of when other nations will sort of acknowledge Israel's king as king of kings, um, is coming true in Jesus Christ. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all day. I want to close at that point. Jesus, of course, you know, we celebrate the fact that he does free from oppression and that he does help the poor and needy and has time and again. But that prayer in the psalm um, points to those areas, it highlights those areas where we can see that he still needs to do that as well. And so there's a, both a backwards and a future orientation in Epiphany. So this Epiphany, let us thank God for all that he has fulfilled from his promises of old. He has given a king that we can trust will judge his people with righteousness and the poor with justice. And we also pray that our king will return in the flesh and bring about his righteous rule in its fullness. Epiphany celebrates God's appearance among us in the world, not in a private revelation, but a public one that even the stars could not keep secret. His light has shined abroad to all nations, though we await the day for all to acknowledge that light. Jesus is our King. Long may he reign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that the light that you shone so long ago to guide the wise men to your Son and acknowledge him as King would continue to shine brightly in our own hearts, brighter than other lights that may be trying to draw our attention away. Keep our focus on Jesus, your King. We pray, God, that his kingdom would come in its fullness and that all these prayers in the psalm we can one day look upon as things past. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.